The Help Show is a podcast dedicated to connecting individuals to mental health resources in the community. The Help Show is more than a podcast. It is a movement focused on change. Our objectives are to change the perception and stigma associated with mental health, encourage those with mental health disease to get help, foster access to mental health resources, and remove barriers to mental health resources, including those encountered in undeserved communities. We remain committed to supporting the mental health needs of the community during the COVID-19 pandemic. Though the world has changed dramatically in a short period of time, The Help Show is here to help and navigate through the changes and address your mental health needs. Seek help when needed. If distress impacts your daily life for several days or weeks, talk to a clergy member, counselor, or doctor, or contact SAMHSA Helpline at 1-800-985-5990. The crisis worker will work to ensure that you feel safe and help identify options and information about mental health services in your area. Your call is a confidential and free. This podcast is sponsored by Good Coworking. Good Coworking is the first solar-powered co-working community in the world focused on cultivating profitable businesses that do right by the people plus the planet, all while keeping you safe in a beautiful plant-filled wellness center space. Get an address for your business, which comes with two daytime co-working days per month to get your meetings done, all for the quarterly cost of $150. Good Work have many membership options, from frequent flyer to office rental, So let good co-working help you find just the right space to help you balance your life and work. Located in Dallas, Texas, just south of Deep Ellum. Check out goodcoworking.co and tell them the Help Show sent you. In the month of June, as we celebrate Juneteenth, we're acutely aware of generational trauma and how it affects male athletes, particularly fathers. But is having a father as necessary as we think it is? Yes. Fathers like Juneteenth connect children with freedom, with positive expectations, with the hope of a better people and a better world. Both are there to teach lessons about what we owe ourselves and each other. Even the best fathers need help sometimes. Fatherhood is a team sport and it takes a village to raise a child. Add sports to the equation and many men can feel overworked, overwhelmed, and in need of support. This month, the Help Show focuses on fatherhood, masculinity in sports, and the do's and don'ts of managing your emotions. Today's special guest is Von Eaglin. Von Eaglin is a licensed professional counselor supervisor with a group practice in North Dallas. He is certified couple relationship trainer and sees a wide range of clients addressing couples, family systems, men issues, anger management, abuse, and addiction, just to name a few. He is a doctoral candidate at the University of North Texas in the Counseling and Higher Education Department and an adjunct facility member at SMU. He's also a recurring guest expert on the nationally syndicated One Life radio program. His PhD research focuses on couple relationships, dynamics. Vaughn is a native of Beaumont, Texas, and has lived in the DFW area since 2000. He's been married for 16 years and has a one-year-old son. You can find him on www.vontalkstherapy or on Instagram at Vaughn Talks. 
Did you know, according to the CDC suicide rates, for the men of all ages and ethnicities increased by 26% from 1999 to 2017. Also, did you know, the U.S. National Library of Medicine found that men are more likely than women to delay or skip regular checkups and medical care. Also, did you know, in 2014, the Suicide Prevention Resource Center found that men 35 to 64 years of age represented 19% of the population but accounted for 40% of all suicides. And also, did you know, according to the PEW Research Center, more than 23% of American children are being raised without a father, and 4% of children are raised without their mother. Vaughn, let's get it going. <laughs> I'm so excited to have you again. Um, quick little did you know, when we first started the health show, Vaughn was a guest, and I kind of bombarded him, because I'm good for that, I bombard people. <laughs> but um, it was the best thing I've ever bombarded a person, because he was extremely kind and knowledgeable then, and he's still kind and knowledgeable now, mm -hmm. and I just want to say thank you so much for being my guest again for thank the health show. Thank you for having me, I appreciate it. So, let's start with this conversation. So, fatherhood, what does that mean to you, Vaughn? Um, Fatherhood is a probably the highest honor that I could ever have as a man. Mm -hmm. um, it's an opportunity where I could, you know, give whatever I've learned in life uh, to my son. Um, I do have a son, and um, you know, as a teacher, a mentor, a uh, someone who's going to support him, helping him uh, grow as a you know a great member of society, um, watching him learn and discover uh, things about himself, things about life, mm -hmm. um, helping him grow his emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just a wonderful experience. Um, yes, there are some trials and tribulations because right. you know fatherhood just you know that kind of comes with the territory. But um, I would say fathers, good fathers, um, have the, a great grand opportunity to make a, a strong investment in their in their sons, so or in the daughters as well. So okay, yeah. okay. And so how did your upbringing affect your perspective in mental health and in the way you're going to, you know, raise your son? Um, well, honestly, I didn't know that I was going to be here, to be honest. So okay. um, I, it was a kind of a fluke, to be honest with you, because um, my undergrad was in business finance. Okay. Um, now, growing up, uh, I grew up in Beaumont, Texas. Beaumont is, I love my hometown, Big Money, Texas. Yeah. Um, however, it is not the best environment in terms of where I grew up in. You right. know, it was a middle class home, but there were low expectations, especially academically, because I went to the hood high school, you know what okay. I mean, in the hood schools and stuff like that. So, um, whereas I had a strong male father in my home, okay. most of my friends did not. And so my father was able to, you know, invest a lot inside of me. And that taught me, you know, it gave me the idea of, okay, this is what I want to do whenever I become a father. And so uh, the, the upbringing, the environment, like I said, Beaumont, Texas, is probably, is usually, um, actually, Forza Magazine rated it as like the least educated metropolitan city in America. Huh. Um, it has usually one of the highest per capita death rates or murder rates rather in Texas, huh. and it's usually one of the top ten fattest cities in America as well. So you oh, know, wow. I mean, so um, so that just gives you a couple of stats about Beaumont. Not that it's all bad, but um, but growing up and then having a father invest in me that taught me, okay, this is what I need to do, um, and then I'm just going to take what he gave me and then build upon that. So okay, mm. okay. I know some people out of Beaumont. 
My assistant is at really? a Beaumont. Really? Okay. And someone I used to talk to Ho at a Beaumont. Well, hopefully, with a good school. But you know. very successful people. Really? So those really? that I do know in Bo that yeah. been from Beaumont, yeah. they work hard to get out of Beaumont. Exactly. Exactly. Not to exactly. go back to Beaumont. Exactly. Yeah. So. But then also to over mm. ex exude and ex succeed in life. Yeah. yeah. I know some overachievers from Beaumont. Yeah. So hey, hey, it's, it, you know, hey, it's not all bad. It's not know, all bad. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. Has sports influenced your parenting style? So I know your son is one years old, mm -hmm. one year old. Yeah. But you know, I know you probably have these ambitious and dreams. What you're gonna teach him? I yeah. could just see you now, like yeah. here, here the football, baby. <laughs> here the football, little man. You know? Yeah, yeah. So he's already learned how to throw. So, you know. <laughs> so how's it going to influence your your parenting style? Like how you were raised? Are you gonna? Um, what kind of parent are you gonna be? What kind of learning style? What kind of? So um, in terms of my sports background, I grew up in an athletic family. So my dad, okay. he was like an all-state athlete. Okay. My brother was like the, the, the man when it came to sports in school. I was the fat kid, though, honestly. Okay. And so my uncle played in the NFL. Uh, actually, all of my uncles went to school on athletic scholarships. I have a lot of family that, are, that were professional athletes. And, you know, and so, um, so I'm very familiar with you know, the, the, the sports arena, so to speak. Now, my own sports background included, like, I mean, everything from football, cross country, track, tennis, swimming, um, basketball. I mean, I tried to do every single thing. Um, however, as a, as a father, those sports will help. Well, the sports themselves are not the issue. It is more so what they taught me, the mm. discipline, the self-esteem, the responsibility, the right. teamwork, the community, learning how to help other people whenever they're down, learning how to be a leader, learning how to push yourself when you don't feel like it. Um, right. So all those late nights when I'm up studying, I can pull upon those kids' same characteristics because the characteristics that I developed in those sports are the same things that I'm gonna be handing down to my son. Whenever he feels down, like what can he do to pick him up? The mental fortitude that's necessary whenever he deals with all the you know vicissitudes of life, so to speak. Right. And so um, it, it influences me greatly. In fact, I, I mean, as a guy, I roughhouse a lot with my son, to be honest with you, okay. because young men, they're always kind of testing their metal against other men, because the thing about manhood is that it's not organic, it's really reactive. Okay. So men, you know, we kind of, what we do is posture ourselves based on the man sitting across from us, okay. and then as I posture myself, he postures himself, and then I reposture, almost kind of like two peacocks doing uh, the dance, uh, in a sense. No. Um, <laughs> so, so young men, we look to the older male to set our idea of what masculinity is. And so I know my son's gonna be looking at me uh, to be a good example for him. And so um, whatever I can do, uh, and then the sports, again, that, that adds to it. I want him to play sports if he, you know, so chooses. Okay. Um, you know, I'm not gonna try to live vicariously through him. You <laughs> because know? Um, yeah. the question, are you gonna be like an author, uh, um, what is it, an author, um, uh, ugh, I can't even pronounce it. An authoritarian parent. I can't even pronounce authoritarian? it. Authoritarian. Authoritarian. So, so when we talk, yeah, when we make talk, sure you cut that out. Okay. <laughs> so, so, so when we talk about parenting styles, there are different parenting styles. I grew up with a more authoritarian style parent, which is, you know, it's very clear in terms of what is right and wrong. You do Correct. this. Correct. You don't do this. If you step out of line, you're gonna get a whooping. Correct. So on and so forth. So um, now the thing about that kind of parenting that I see is that kids will like whenever they start thinking for themselves, mm -hmm. they either one. Um, become rebellious openly correct, to the parent, correct. or they become really sneaky and kind of do something because you know if I if I get in trouble, I know this is not right, so I'm just going to do this behind your back. Correct. And so um, that is not the uh, the model of parenting that is preferred. So you have authoritarian, you have the passive parent, the one that is kind of correct. I don't call them an enabler, but they you know kind of lies they fair hands off. I want to be your friend. I don't want you to be mad at me. Right. That kind of parent. Then, um, but the authoritarian style parent, oh, excuse me, the authoritative style yes. parenting is much more collaborative. You know, huh. uh, we um, we're going to work on things together uh -huh. because whenever you become what I call an emotion coach, okay, um, because with kids, 
helping them build their emotional intelligence and doing that in a collaborative way is essential because emotional intelligence and mm -hmm. social relationships are the two highest predictive factors of success. And so it's not your IQ, it's okay. not your gender, it's not your, um, not your sexual orientation, it's not your SES, your socioeconomic status. None of those things matter. Your emotional intelligence is the key factor for helping your child be successful hmm. because emotional intelligence is what helps them develop meaning for themselves, learn how to have boundaries, learn yeah. to you know um, have uh, successful relationships. I mean, yeah. like that's the thing that is the most important thing. So if I can give that to my son uh, along with a little bit of grit, you know, a little bit of resilience. I a think that's bit. the goal. That's the goal. So, okay. Yeah. Okay. So, as a father, how do you address systematic racism with your family? Mm -hmm. Because you know, that's a big topic right now, yeah. and it's not getting any better anytime mm -hmm. soon. Mm -hmm. And your your son is one. He'll be two, then three, yeah. then he'll be ten, then yeah. fifteen. <laughs> so true. I'm, you know, I'm not trying to yeah. push him out the, yeah, out the door, yeah. Yeah. but you know, how are you going to be? I know the conversation you probably have with your wife, mm -hmm. but. What conversation are you going to have with your son? Mm -hmm. So some of these conversations, I do believe, will happen just organically. Like whenever okay. he goes to school and let's say he experiences some microaggression or some mm -hmm. covert um, type of racism as opposed to being as overt as it used to be in the past. It just depends on what environment that he's in, you know. Right. But, you know, some of these are going to happen whenever he comes home and, he, and we talk about how his day was, then we're going to talk about, hey, what happened? Or how were you treated? How yeah. did this person view things? How did you respond to certain yeah. things? How did you respond to the authority figure? So on and so forth. So yeah. now some of these other conversations, we're going to, I don't want to say we manufactured them, but we're going to, you know, this is going to be, you know, we're going to have some deep conversations about how to handle himself with police. Absolutely. How do you handle yourself when someone who's of a different race um, treats you or mistreats you? Mm. And number one, we don't want to be the person like, you know, reverse racism. I don't want you mistreating anyone either. Absolutely. You know? And so, um, so we're going to have a lot of those conversations. I know I, my dad had a lot of those conversations with me. They were a little bit, uh, uh, my dad's upbringing was, I mean, he grew up, you know, with segregation. Absolutely. And so, you know, the stories that I get, my, my lived experience is a lot different than my dad's. Mm. You know, there's a white boy, you know, uh, you know, killed my dog. And when we got new books, they came, there were the old books from the White House school. And, oh, you know, when we played sports, they always gave it to the white guy, even though he couldn't be a good running back. So, so those experiences are much more ingrained in my, my, my father's upbringing than mine. And the story, little, he told me this. He said, look, you're here. Mm. The white guy starts off here. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the finish line. Absolutely. You better make it there. You better make it there first. And I was like, I'm nine, man. Like, what? <laughs> so, you know, and so, but those are the kind of conversations that he had with me because he was, you know, he was, his experience with, discrim with uh, discrimination was so much more than mine. Absolutely. And so, um, but whatever experiences I have, because society has changed and it's developing, yes, we still have a lot of issues, but those conversations are going to, uh, they're going to, uh, they're going to look different. And as he grows up and develops, those conversations are going to develop over time too, because what he can understand at five is going to be totally different when he, you know, experiences something at 15 years Absolutely. old. Absolutely. Yeah. Because, you know, like right now, what's going on in the media with the um, massacre of Tulsa, Oklahoma mm -hmm. and the Black Wall Street. And I, you know, only knew s so much about it, but then I started doing my research. Mm -hmm. And, you know, those that have, are still dealing, because people are still, especially people of color, yeah. we're still dealing with that. Yeah. You have a, a woman that's 107 years old mm -hmm. and she still feels that pain. Yeah. Just like the guy, I think he was in the Navy or the Army, he's 100 years old. Mm -hmm. I can't remember the names at the top of my head. But they, they have PTSD. Yeah. And they're going to have that until the day they die. Mm -hmm. And you can tell that they always wanted justice. Mm -hmm. But they didn't know how to, to ask for justice. Mm -hmm. And, the, and the Tulsa, Oklahoma, that situation, 
is, I know it's 100 years ago, but people just start talking about it 50 years ago. Mm -hmm. So when your son, he's one, mm -hmm. and it's 100, so it, by the time he's like, I'm gonna give him 15? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> he'll, it'll be 115 years old, which mm -hmm. is still, it's, yeah. it's, it's still like, mm -hmm. it's still close, yeah. still close to home. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so by then they probably have more research and more people start coming out and you have grandkids that start coming out. What if your father's, what if your son says, you know, hey dad, mm -hmm. tell me more about the Tulsa, Oklahoma, the massacre. Mm -hmm situation mm -hmm. or can you explain why is there so much racism yeah. why what would be your response how would you talk mm -hmm. to your son so, so well I think whenever issues happen now okay. the issues in the past to me become much more relevant because like when George Floyd you know we had all these you know rallies and I mean literally around the world absolutely fighting what, justice yeah. for that yeah. and so you know all of a sudden all the injustices of the past said hold up you know what this is still happening because now it's in your face you know yeah. um, there's hmm so I think I'll go back I believe it was Trevor Noah said this and he was actually talking about President Trump he says you know what he's offensive but I am not affected by him as Absolutely. much as. So, you know, like you have people who have experiences and their lived experiences are different. Like when you talk about like white privilege or whatever privilege, you know, race or society is because we're talking about America. So, you know, yeah. the Caucasian male is typically um, the person who's privileged in this society. But if you're talking about India, if you're talking about another country, if you're talking about Mexico, like all of those are different. Yeah. And so um, when you talk about what am I going to like, how do we have these kind of conversations? Like some of these, I want to say they'll be mandatory, but we're going to have some frank, open discussions with how some people may view uh, life, like right. whether they be ignorant um, or unexposed to different things okay. or um, the exposure is key. I will say that. So, right. Um, whenever I, I plan on exposing my son to a lot of different things, we're going to travel, right. we're going to see different cultures, exposing him to different languages, because I want him to see that there's a big world outside of your microcosm, just a small bubble that you grew up in, because right. you need to understand that people think differently than you do and learn. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Um, no, 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 mm -hmm. problem. So, so the question I have to ask, because before I forget, so why is it hard for me to address the mental health? Because we're going back to mm -hmm. the, t I'm talking about Tulsa, okay. and then we're talking about um, mm -hmm. you teaching your son how to, you know, cope with different issues when he mm -hmm. gets older enough to be able mm -hmm. to talk about his emotions. So the question, this is like a million dollar question, mm -hmm. okay? Yeah. <laughs> this is for you ladies, okay? <laughs> Why is it hard for men to address their mental health? Mm -hmm. especially in, but especially in sports, gotcha. because I've mm -hmm. noticed that. Like I date, <laughs> I'm mm -hmm. single. <laughs> Okay, and so I want to know why is it so hard, especially those that are athletes, to mm -hmm. express their emotions? Gotcha. So um, men, usually when I have a man come into counseling, okay. uh, usually I say three things. Number one, either some woman in their life has influenced them to come in. Hey, you know what? You have some anger issues or you're depressed. It right. might be a mother, it might be a sister, it might be a wife, it might be a daughter, and they're actually I mean, trying to persuade them to come into counseling. Okay. Number two, they usually come into counseling because they've had experience with it in the past. Hey, you know what? My dad was an alcoholic. I went to Al-Anon. And number three, usually what I see most often is that this is the Hail Mary. It's the long bomb. I don't have anywhere to turn. Everything's <laughs> hit the fan, and uh, I'm at my wit's end. So because of that, you know, guys, we are raised and we're socialized into only being able to express certain emotions. Yes, we have a lot of feelings. Our ego is big, but many times much more fragile than a woman's. You know, again, I'm overgeneralizing. However, well. um, <laughs> but guys, we deal with issues. As you, like some of the statistics you read, we suffer in silence. 
yeah. because we're supposed to have it together. Yeah. We're supposed to be independent. We're supposed yeah. to be resilient. We're supposed to, we don't even ask for directions, even mm. if we're lost. And so whenever we have emotions, we have them, and we don't even know how to articulate what emotion that is. Absolutely. And so I just know I'm angry. I'm not allowed, society, society, I'm not allowed to feel sad, to huh. be hurt, to, you know, if I'm playing sports, let's say I'm playing on the football field okay. and I injure my ankle, I usually can't go up to my, co my coach crying, coach, I'm, I'm sad, you know, this, my, my ankle's hurt, mm. because, you know, the coach is going to say, suck it up, get back in the game, or right. go to the trainer, uh, because the thing about it is that guys, our, our whole goal huh. typically is to keep the game going. Absolutely. So, um... Can I go into a little bit of research? Yeah, yeah, come on. Okay. So I'm ready. If you have, let's say you have seven, eight, nine-year-old boys okay. and they're playing. They usually play over a large geographical area. So let's say we have a little time. He starts crying. His crying is an interruption to the game. You know, let's say they're playing it or tag. Huh. If he cries too much and makes too much commotion, then, you know, let's say the leader of the group, let's, I don't know, call him Chris. Chris comes. Hey, Tommy, why are you crying? I never get the ball. Hey, everybody. Tommy has the ball. Okay, you're good off and run it. They go huh. playing again because okay. his emotions are a disruption to the game. Huh. Now, if you take little, two little girls, let's say they're playing house, you know, I don't know, Sally and Susie or whatever, and then Sally says, hey, I started crying, and hey, you don't, why are you crying? Hey, I don't have the, you don't wear the beret that I want you to wear. Now, all of a sudden, the game stops. They now focus in on the emotional connection between them. Hmm. You know, that, hey, you know, hey, I'm going to wear what you want me to wear tomorrow. Hey, can we have a sleepover? Hey, um, we're going to marry, you know, brother so we can live on the same street and live near each other. And all of a sudden, huh. the game goes to the side. So you see that, you know, when you transform, when you just kind of project that out in life, you see that happen in relationships. Huh. A woman comes to me, you have an issue, all of a sudden I want to solve it. Okay. Because I want to keep the game going. Let's have fun, let's have sex, let's have peace, keep, keep the game, game going. going. So, mm. and so, uh, so guys, a lot of times, our goal is to, okay, I don't, we become what's called emotionally dismissive. Mm. Okay, and when we're emotionally dismissive, it means that we don't notice low intensity emotion mm. in ourselves or in other people. We don't take time for introspection to think mm. about like, okay, how does this emotion, where did this come from? How does it affect me? You know, what is it telling me? We uh, want to problem solve. We want rationality to kind of, you know, yes. deal with, you know, emotions. Yes. We, we're upset when people get too, you know, angry or, or when emotions get too high. Hey, you know, you're not talking logically. You know what I mean? You're acting like a child. What's mm. wrong with you? You know, so. Um, so we want that a it's lot of like time. my relationships. <laughs> I can't take this. <laughs> so, so, so that's what happens. So guys, we don't learn how to value feelings the way we should. Mm. And then our depth of feeling and then being allowed to experience those things is something that we just don't always do. And mm. sometimes we have to be taught how to do that. It's okay to have feelings. I teach my kids this. Anytime I'm doing a workshop, I'm teaching parents. Uh, if, um, if, I'm, if I'm talking to a school, whoever it is, all your feelings are acceptable. All your behaviors are not, but all your feelings are. So is this why they be become emotional, and I, I say emotionally incompetent, mm. and I say emotionally <laughs> unavailable. Uh -huh. Those are my two words. Like, yeah. it's so many men out here, I'm like men in general, that are so emotional unavailable. Mm -hmm. Like, they just, it's yeah. like emotion, cut. Yeah. Like, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's, it's, well, I, I would say this, that is, when you say emotionally available, whenever you don't know, you just don't know that you don't know sometimes, and so, it's, let's say my emotions, if we have a pendulum, I'm swinging between one and ten. Okay. I function between a, a six and a four. Okay. Yours is, you know, one to ten, and, you know, and whenever you hit <laughs> one, I'm just like, that's too much for me. You're, you're giving me two, you're extra, you know what I mean? And so, um, when we're emotionally available, again, we're not comfortable. Uh, again, I'm overgeneralizing. We're not comfortable. I say emotion unavailable, uh, not available. Yeah, emotionally Unav unavailable. Unavailable. Well, okay. uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> certain emotions we're not comfortable with. Mm. Feeling weak. Mm. feeling vulnerable, mm. like very, 
most men hate feeling weak and feeling vulnerable. Mm -hmm. um, so we're gonna, you know, anything that makes me feel like that, I'm gonna like, this is like, I'm gonna just cast, I don't wanna deal with that. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, crying, mm -hmm. being sad, feeling hurt, feeling powerless, feeling misunderstood, feeling confused, mm -hmm. feeling betrayed, feeling, mis like those are things that we, that we usually don't deal with. Mm -hmm. What I do deal with is anger and frustration and, you know, and irritation and like those things are acceptable. So those are typically what we go towards, so. Quick question. Mm -hmm. So when you are counseling men, mm -hmm. okay, what emotion do you hear the most? Anger, anger, and so. Um, now here's the thing about emotions. Okay. When people experience emotions, you can't experience one pure emotion at a time. Okay. Okay, so you experience a variety of emotions all at the same time. And so okay. anger is a mixed emotion. A lot of counselors call it a, a secondary emotion. Okay. So. Um, anger usually relates to not getting what you want. Like no one gets angry whenever they get what they want. That's true. And so, so when, and whenever you get angry, there's a payoff associated with it. Okay. For instance, I want you to understand me. Okay. If you don't do that, I get angry. I want you to give me something, so I get. I want you to get away from me. I get angry. And so, anger and frustration again, that's acceptable. You oh know, my God! You know, so. Angry, so. <laughs> so. man, hungry. I'm angry. Hungry. <laughs> so, you know, there you go. So, um, so, but again, anger. A lot of times, guys will get angry. Some guys are more in touch with their emotions. In my relationship, I'm the emotional one. My wife is like, why are we watching this drama? Can we stop? You know, like, I'm crying. Like, you don't understand. Like, did you see, did you see what happened here? And she's like, I can't deal with that right now. So, um, so uh, but again, every relationship, again, is different. But by and large, most guys, again, we don't deal with those uh, feelings that feel really negative or that are too powerful because that's just a really uncomfortable place for us to be in. We don't, it's almost like, I say this a lot of times with adolescents. It's like we go here for the session. We okay. start here swimming. We okay. go deep sea diving for a second, okay. and then we got to come up for air. Okay. You know, you ladies, you're like scuba divers, professional. You're you're <laughs> seeing the bottom of the floor. You you can deal with that for a long time. And you're dealing with all these strong and emotional feelings, talking to your girlfriends and so on, and connecting with other people. Okay. I got to come up for air though. I can only do so much. Okay. Deal, so. So how do you help other men express their emotions? Mm. And so one, you have to normalize it. Okay. Emotions aren't bad. No. Um, and so helping, because here's the thing about with many emotions, that there's a paradox to it. Especially like when I talk about grief, like when it's unexpressed hmm. and you just like leave it there, it's gonna manifest some kind of way. Right. And so being able to say, it's okay to have this feeling. Again, all your feelings are acceptable, all your behaviors are not. Okay. Let's say my son, it's okay for you to be angry. It's not okay for you to go punch a hole in the wall or go choke your, you know, your little cousin or spit on somebody. Yeah. But it's okay to be angry. Okay, and so, but letting them know that all these feelings are acceptable and then learning how to have good coping mechanisms to deal with those feelings is really right. important because uh, you don't want to have ne negative or unhealthy coping mechanisms because, I'll give you an example. When guys come to my office, let's say they're depressed, then the depression is really, what guys tend to do is what we call externalize the depression. Okay. We don't necessarily sit with it. I may see a guy engage in like promiscuity, mm. substance abuse. You'll see a lot more anger and irritation. You'll see them become a workaholic. You'll mm -hmm. see them do things to go off into a fantasy, some kind of pleasurable activity. Okay. You know, I see the guy, he's going in, he's, he's cheating on his wife, mm. but that's not the issue. At the issue is actually depression. That's mm. the root that's, of it. Yeah. And the manifestation is like, I'm just looking for something that's gonna make him feel good. Okay. You know what I mean? So if we deal with the depression, 
we deal with the issue, then okay. the symptom or whatever whatever I'm seeing clears up by itself. Okay. So it's really important that we actually deal with the issue. And many times guys are depressed, but again, we suffer in silence. You see we have higher suicide rates simply because we use more lethal means than women do. Women are more likely to take pills or go try to hang themselves. And yeah. guys like, just give me a gun. Yeah, you know, that is so, true. That's very um, true. So again, we suffer in silence. We deal with the issues. And again, we, we don't know how to express them. And so they're, they're just left unexpressed. And then we deal with it in some way that may be unhealthy. Okay, so I want to get back into, I want to focus on the sports, mm -hmm. okay? So how does masculinity in sports affect relationships personally and professionally? Mm -hmm. So, well, it's a big question. Yes. So some of that depends on your sport that you're playing. So, okay, let's go to football. Okay, football. So football is a hyper-masculine sport. Okay. You know, uh, I've counseled, you know, NFL players. I have friends that are in the NFL. Right. Um, you know, like I said, I've had family members that are in the NFL. I've counseled, you know, you know um, college athletes that, are, that play football. I had a lot of friends. I, I played college football for a bit. And so, but it's a hyper-masculine sport, meaning mm -hmm. that you tend to see, when we talk about the spectrum, um, you know, and like most spectrums are kind of like a bell curve. It's more on the end in terms okay. of like hypermasculinity. So again, that's going to affect how you see things. Okay. The kid, I'll say it like this, whenever you're raised, guys were socialized into what masculinity is. Okay. Most guys tend to see three things in terms of masculinity. Number okay. one, the kid who is an athlete usually is the most popular in school. So athleticism is highly prized. That's, what, that's the one the girls want. Doesn't matter how he looks, he's the best athlete. That's the, that's the star, uh, uh, you know what I'm saying, in the school or at the, you know, on the field, so on and so forth. Um, the second one typically is economic success. You know, the guy who has the most toys and looks the best, again, uh, you know, that, you know, um, that looks at, you're looked at as like you're a bigger man or an alpha male. And then usually the third thing is sexual uh, conquest. You know? Okay. Um, but specifically about sports and football, because it's such a hyper-masculine environment, okay. then those guys definitely aren't allowed to express their emotions as much. Now, mm -hmm. the coach does set the tone. You know, some coaches have more of a family-oriented environment. Okay. Other coaches are more about business. So, mm -hmm. um, so like where you're at in terms of like your sporting, I guess, endeavors. If you're in peewee league football, that mm -hmm. looks different. If right. you're in high school football, college football is definitely a business. You know, hmm. I'm trying to recruit someone who's better than you the next year. Absolutely. Um, when I played college ball, I mean, we went to a club one night, and several people went to jail that night. The coach only bailed out the star athlete. Though. <laughs> I'm talking. <a> look, <laughs> the coach only bailed out the star athlete. Everybody else stayed in jail. Oh, the backup quarterback, the backup tailback, the backup. Wow. Yeah. But but the it's star athlete ended up playing for Green Bay for ten years. You know what I'm saying? Oh, wow. and So he was that good though. You know what okay. I mean? He was like all conference on and so forth. Right. So um, I mean, it's a business. And then when you get to you know uh, to the professional level, and less than one percent of people actually make it to the professional level. But when you get there, mm. um, th I mean, that is definitely a business. You know, um, if you are, uh, let's say, I have a friend of mine. He's married, um, mm -hmm. and he has three kids. And like, whenever he gets um, traded to another team, mm -hmm. well, they have to buy a new house in that city. I mean, you know, they have to, you know, uproot things. They have to, you know, where are the kids going to go to school? Like, it's a very different type of um, experience that you have whenever you're a professional athlete. Right. But centering on how football and some of these sports affect masculinity, yes, you can. It can be uh, toxic at times, right. but you can also learn a lot of good things in sports too. Absolutely. You know? So in terms of like some of the things I said before, discipline, responsibility, teamwork, Absolutely. consistency, and doing things that you don't enjoy, but acting like you love it and, you know, um, but the discipline of, you know, your diet, food, I mean, all this kind of stuff. So it's a very different um, experience that you have as an athlete. So does the tight-knit culture of a team leave room for men to address their mental health? 
Um, uh, again, some of that is dependent upon the team. Okay. Um, some teams, um, and then the stigma of mental health is becoming, um, is, is decreasing, is reducing. Okay. When you have, like, uh, I've been seeing, like, uh, I am an athlete. So you see Brandon Marshall. Yes, you know, I love I mean, them. So, I love and, them. And you watch Chad Ochocinco. Ocho yes. And you see them talking about things. I think they had Deion Sanders come on. They said, hey, what was your lowest point? He said, I was uh, suicidal. Mm. It was like, really? Like, I was on every commercial. I was doing this. But all those people wanted something from me. And yep. no one actually knew me. And the only people I felt like actually loved me were my kids. And mm. so it doesn't matter, you know, the, the money, the acquisition, all the women and everything like that. If you're yeah. at that level, like, you can still deal with a lot of mental health issues. Absolutely. And so, um, but so the stigma is coming down. And um, getting back to your question. I'm sorry. What was your question again? So, you know, <laughs> the tight-knit culture of a team leave room for men to address the mental health? Um, for some men, no. You know, because I, I have to, you know, it depends on what kind of man it is and how he's raised and, you know, and what he sees as normal. But many times um, men don't address it because to do so would be seen as weak or vulnerable. And we, hmm. don't, want, and we don't want that um, coming into the locker room. So, Absolutely. And so does race matter when it comes to mental health? And I kind of want to talk about generational trauma mm -hmm. and celebrating June, Juneteenth and yeah. kind of yeah. put that all in. So, so um, I would say uh, race does come into play. Mm. I think it looks a little bit different. Um, so um, I was counseling a college athlete, and he um, experienced some racism mm. from the administration. Okay. Because he he well, he confronted the administration, saying that hey, you know what? Your the only reason you have us here is because you want to make money. Absolutely. And they didn't take you know, too light to that. No, they did not. You know what I mean? So that's why yeah. they probably sent him to me, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> Please, uh, you know. Vaughn, help yeah. him. So, but, <laughs> but again, you know, I mean, but that, I mean, that's always going to be a component in, inside of it. Just like you have like NBA athletes saying mm -hmm. that, you know, you know, um, you see people like spitting on them, throwing popcorn on them. Yeah. Them, and they, they're saying that this is pent up energy because of, you know, the coronavirus. But at the same time, this is just disrespectful because you see yeah. them. It's an entertainment. Yeah. You know, that's really what it is. This is a business, and you're entertaining me when it, with your uh, athletic prowessness. So, um, so um, it's important that people start to address these issues, and that um, that you have people who have a voice come forward and say something. Yeah. Um, um, you know, if you see wrong, I mean, if you see something being done wrong, then you do something about it. So, yeah. absolutely. So you answer. You did. I was going to ask you a question, but you pretty much answered it. I think about the Deion Sanders mm -hmm. when I was like, does having a spotlight on an athlete affect them mentally? Mm -hmm. Which can you have all this? You have all these expectations. Mm -hmm. You have everybody wanted something, which is true. Mm -hmm. um, but the question after an athlete is like, you know what? This is too much. Mm -hmm. What do you do? What are resources available for those that are professional, not professional? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I don't want to say only for the elite. Mm -hmm. Just because you don't make it NFL, NBA, right. NBA, mm -hmm. I mean, um, baseball, it doesn't make you mm -hmm. less than. Right. And right. so what resources are available for athletes so, that play? Because there is a difference. Mm -hmm. Like when you don't play, I'm... I ran track, 300 hurdles. Okay. Oh, and I wasn't, and I wasn't great. Mm -hmm. Okay, I like to go to the booty shorts, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but I have this competitive side in me. And when right. you're an athlete, mm -hmm. when you're elite, yeah. that's like times ten. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, and those mm -hmm. that don't like play sports or like do yoga, that's the. I just think it's different it than those that like are competitive. Right. So mm -hmm. I'm not saying that um, that. Well, I kind of am mm -hmm. saying that they kind of should have different counselors. Yeah. 
yeah. because it's different. It is, it is. And so you the know? mentality is different. The discipline is different. The, the I mean, it's, it's, it is a difference. You yeah. know, my wife, I guess you could say her career was an athlete because she danced professionally for 10 yes. years. So mm -hmm. she was in the body business. You know, you're worried about, you know, how, you know, how much do I weigh? You know, how am I going to look in this? Absolutely. I'm clad. Like, Absolutely. how do I perform this? Do I have the proper flexibility? Like the discipline of an athlete is very different yeah. um, whenever you are at that level. Right. So, um, so when we talk about resources, though, mm -hmm. I mean, some of these resources are really, it literally just Googling it. So um, the, the best resource I usually tell people to, to do is, like, just go to Psychology Today. Okay. Most councils advertise on Psychology Today. You can find one in your area, um, you know, um, and, you know, even by zip code. Okay. You can look up whether they take insurance, whether they do sliding scale. You can look up whether they take EAP programs, different okay. things of that nature. Um, and then you can look at, like, websites like um, mental, uh, mental Health First Aid. It has a whole list of resources. I didn't even know that the, mental health first aid. Yeah, That's uh, a good one. Substance abuse, S-A-M-H-S-A, uh, -S -S which is like if you have substance abuse issues. NAMI, which is like the National Alliance of Mental mm -hmm. Health. You know, so, uh, and then there's like BetterHelp. They got, you know, there's resources coming out online, you okay. know, with people being able to get mental health just on their phone. And so, and even apps that you can use, such as Uber or, you know, Headspace, if you're looking for something for mindfulness. But a lot of times it's just a click away if you just simply Google and just do, you know, a 10-minute search, five-minute search, you can find someone. But um, you want to you wanna vet that person. Just like any time you are meeting with a counselor, you want to, because the, the, the therapeutic relationship is one of the things that create change. Absolutely. And sometimes I have people come to me because I have an athletic background. Right. You know, and so, hey, you know what, you know what my son is going through or you, you know, have experience with athlete, with uh, being, an, uh, being an athlete, um, even though Father Tom is kind of taking over. I'm over 40 years old now, so. Um, <laughs> hey, I'm yeah. almost over 40. <laughs> you see, nobody knew that until you said, hey. you know what I mean? So, but, um, but yeah, so, you know, um, but uh, having that experience, you know, I can identify and relate to people who are going through that, so, you know. Okay, and how, can we make getting help less a stigma for athletes? Mm, um, some of that, again, is like normalizing it. I like the I am an athlete. You see people like- I uh, love them, you know, so I you do. See, I mean, <laughs> Dak Prescott talked about, you know, uh, mental health whenever his brother died. Mm. You know, uh, Kevin Love came. I mean, you see, you know, professional athletes coming out and talking about this, and that does help reduce the stigma because it's like, you know what? This guy is at the pinnacle of what I would consider to be an alpha male, and he's saying, hey, it's okay to go talk to somebody. Absolutely. You know? And so um, I was watching a special by Mike Tyson. Um, I don't know if mm. you've seen that. I didn't uh, like, see that one. Yeah, well, it just came on. I think they just uh, aired part two. Okay. Um, but one of the segments, it was this older white lady. She was like, and it was Mike Tyson's like mental health counselor. And uh -huh. she was talking about all the trauma that Mike uh, grew up with and how he was bullied and so on and so mm. forth. But yeah, I mean, he was, I mean, the, what you would consider the pinnacle of what it means to be a man at once, at one time in the world, more famous than the Pope, more famous than Michael Jackson. I mean, in the nineties, it was Mike, Mike and Mike, Mike Tyson, Michael Jackson, Michael Jordan. Jordan yeah, yeah. So, you know, so, <laughs> yeah. uh, so I, I grew up in a good era. So, yeah. you know, I so, did, you know, didn't know, we? So, yeah, we, we so, so we're getting ready to um, close out. Mm -hmm. I think this is an amazing interview. Um, I want to let you guys know about the, um, our next, um, podcast would be July 30th, so make sure that you listen to us right now. This podcast is June the 30th, which is on a Wednesday at um, 6.30 Central Time, so please, guys, tune in. This is so great. <laughs> Von Eaglin, thank you so, so much for, um, you know, being on the show. We really appreciate you. Um, thank you. This is the second time, yeah, yeah. so it has to be three. My number is three, so you'll be back. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully. We might try to give him be a guest, be a co-host for next year. So, 
How do we know? Okay, but yeah, but thank you. Thank you, Vaughn. Thank, thank you. you so much. Thank you so much for having me. The Help Show wants to thank all of our partners. Auckland Research Associates, NJI Holding, Good Coworking, Gift in Mind Foundation, Duke's Hair Studios, and White Pearl Inc. We'd like to take a moment and thank everyone in our listening audience for listening today. We'd also like to remind everyone that we are a nonprofit organization operating entirely off the generous support of our donors. If you'd like to give to our organization, we appreciate you. You can send your donation via Cash App, Money Sign, The Help Show, or on our website at www.thehelpshow.org. There's no donation too small. Every dollar given will strengthen our efforts. If you'd like to donate $1,500 or more and become a VIP sponsor, then we have some additional packages listed on our website. And you can visit us at www.thehelpshow.org for more details.